Today on Crossroads in Culture, we're continuing our series on the seven statements of Christ from the cross, and we're focusing on the third statement Jesus made, which was to his mother, who was there at the crucifixion, as well as to his disciple John. Jesus made this statement to his mother, Mary, woman, behold your son, and then he said to John, behold your mother. What was Jesus saying, and and what significance does that statement have for us even today? Well, we're going to talk about that today on Crossroads and Culture. Hey guys, welcome to Crossroads and Culture. I hope that you have had a great weekend. Um, and if you were able to worship with your brothers and sisters in Christ uh, yesterday, uh, perhaps talking about uh, Palm Sunday, the day when Jesus would have entered into Jerusalem, that would have kicked off this final week leading up to his crucifixion, which we remember this Friday on Good Friday. And the reason it's a Good Friday is because not only did he pay for the sins of the world, but he did not stay on the cross. We celebrate Resurrection Sunday following Good Friday, which makes Friday Good Friday, really Great Friday, because Jesus no longer is on the cross, but he's also not in the tomb. He's risen. So as we approach Resurrection Sunday, as we approach Easter that's happening this Sunday, we're looking at these seven statements that Jesus made from the cross. Uh, And if you've not been able to catch the first two, you can go back and listen to the podcast, and I hope you'll do that. Uh, but today we're looking at the, th- the third statement that Jesus made from the cross, and we find this in the Gospel of John, and I'm going to read this to you, Gos- the Gospel of John, John chapter 19, beginning in verse 23 and going through verse 27. Um, so if you are uh, at home or you're at a place where you can get your Bible out or your Bible app, I encourage you to do that, just follow along. Um, but if you're not, then just listen. I'm going to read the text to you, and then we're going to talk about this statement that he makes to his mother and to one of his disciples, John, um, who are there at the cross as he's being crucified. Now, it, it, it may seem somewhat like, uh, to some degree, an insignificant statement, um, but this statement uh, is very significant, and there is a lot that's packed into this, so we're going to dive into it. In John chapter 19, beginning with verse 23, listen to what um, John records in his gospel. It says, When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his garments and divided them into four parts, one part for each soldier, also his tunic. But the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. So they said to one another, Let us not tear it, but cast lots for it to see whose it shall be. This was to fulfill the scripture, which says, They divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. So the soldiers did these things, but standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. And when Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. Now, let me just kind of explain a little bit about this, because when it says the disciple whom he loved, John would often refer to himself with that language. We know that this is uh, John, um, who's standing there by um, the mother of Jesus, Mary, um, and John is the one who would take him to uh, his home to care for her 
after Jesus' death. So kind of gives you a little bit of understanding of, of what's going on. And it gives us also a picture, at least to some degree, of who was at the cross and who was standing by the cross when Jesus was crucified. I can't imagine, um, as, as we see Mary, um, Jesus' mother, standing there, her witnessing what is taking place with her son, Jesus. She has uh, endured this, the, these accusations, the illegal trials that went on, um, the, uh, the, the betrayal of Judas, obviously, hearing about this, the denial of Peter, um, and then the flogging of, of Jesus being scourged. Uh, and, and if you saw The Passion of the Christ, Mel Gibson's film that was done years and years ago, uh, but still so good. So we still watch it um, during this time just to kind of bring remembrance to us a little bit more about what Jesus would have endured. And just remember that, that, that art and what is being portrayed is never as um, real as what took place uh, in that time with Jesus. But can you imagine being Mary and, and seeing this, her Jesus, her, her son, um, being beaten uh, and with a cat of nine tails and, and mercilessly bloody, uh, just beaten to a pulp to the point where he was unrecognizable. You, you didn't even recognize him as what Scripture would have what Scripture says. And then to see him carrying the cross um, and his body weak from blood loss, perhaps going into shock, and yet he's carrying his cross up this hill the place to the place called Golgotha, the skull. Um, and, G- and now Mary is watching the, the moments, the final moments of his death. Can't imagine what's going through her mind. I can, I can only imagine as a parent, as a father to children, uh, to three kids, uh, but but to, to to think that Mary would have been there to see this and witness this, I, I can't even can't even imagine. But here Jesus is on the cross, being crucified. He's made some statements. He said the first statement, which was, "Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing." The second statement, he spoke to one of the thieves, one of the criminals that. Uh, was being crucified on a cross next to him. There were two, one on either side. One continued to blaspheme Jesus. The other, who had blasphemed him and ridiculed him at the beginning, had a change of heart. Something happened, and he said to Jesus from the cross, Jesus, remember me when when you enter into your kingdom. And Jesus' response was, uh, today you will be with me in paradise. Again, you can go back and listen to those podcasts uh, that we did a couple of days ago. But this third statement that he makes to his mother, woman, behold your son, and to, to John, behold your mother, has a lot of significance that is tied to this. Now, I'll, I want to talk a little bit about what this statement is not and what it does not mean, because I know that there are some faith traditions that hold um, that this venerates Mary or puts Mary in a place where she is to be worshipped. And specifically, that the, the Roman Catholic tradition, faith tradition, w- would see this as such. And this is not to demean uh, Roman Catholics or, or Catholicism by any means, but at the same time, I want us to look at what does Scripture teach um, about uh, us as um as human beings, and the fact that we're all sinners in need of forgiveness. And this does not um, exclude Mary. She is included in the fact, in, 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 the, in, in, in the human race, um, who is, who was a sinner in need of salvation. 
Now, I, I know that that Mary has been referred to as the mother of God, and I want to talk about that just for a few moments. And 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 also the veneration of Mary, where it's where veneration just simply means this this respect or worship or adoration of Mary. And certainly she's one to be respected, but she's not to be worshipped in the same way that Jesus is worshipped. Um, and and also she's not to be prayed to as though she is our intercessor. Jesus is the one who intercedes for us, not not Mary. And so as we as we look at this. When Jesus made this statement, woman, behold your son, and then he said to John, behold your mother, it was not elevating Mary in the sense that she was the one who was going to be the mother of the church um, and that the church should look to. We're going to talk about, I'm going to talk about that in just a second, in just a few moments. Um, but also when when some have referred to her as the mother of God, I want to talk a little bit about that because back in A.D. 431. There was a, a council in Ephesus called the Council of Ephesus um, where they actually discussed the topic um, that is a, a, was a Greek word, theotokos. So theotokos, it literally means God-bearer or the one who gives birth to God, and it was in reference to Mary. So at the Council of Ephesus in AD 431, they, they took up this topic to talk about um, the God-bearer, or the one who, who would give birth to God, theotokos, and is the Greek word, in regard to Mary. Now, the council's use of that word, theotokos, was, was, was to counter um, a heretical teaching by a man by the name of Nestorius. And Nestorianism is, the, is kind of the religious tradition or this heresy that came about because of what Nestorius had taught. Um, so what he had taught was that um, that the nature and person of Christ was was divided. What I mean by that is this: that 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 Jesus's human and, and divine natures were completely uh, unconnected. That that they they were not they were not they were divergent, if you will. So so when Mary gave birth, she gave birth to Jesus to to Christ, but not to God. That Mary was the mother of of his humanity which was completely different, distinct from his divinity. So in essence, Jesus was like two different people sharing his sharing one body. But the scriptures tell us that Jesus was fully God and fully human. And so what Nestorius had taught was heresy. And so the Council of Ephesus, they affirmed the full deity of Christ um, and the unity of, of, of his person, by saying that that Mary did in fact bear God in her womb in the sense that Jesus is God in the flesh and Mary is the mother of Jesus so she is the mother of God and John chapter 1 verse 14 tells us this that the word became flesh right that Jesus who was and is fully God yet Jesus fully human was mothered by Mary now, it doesn't mean that Mary was the originator or the source of God. That's not, that's not what the Council of Ephesus was saying. They were trying to make a distinction between this heretical teaching of Nestorius and what was true and is true of Jesus, that he is God in the flesh. Because Scripture tells us, we see it in Genesis, we see this in Genesis chapter 1 when it refers to the Trinity, and even though the word Trinity is not mentioned in Scripture, we certainly see the reality 
of Trinity and the doctrine of Trinity. I mentioned this, I believe, on one of the earlier podcasts in Genesis chapter 1, when it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The word God, this English word God, in the Hebrew language is the word Elohim. Elohim is not singular, it's plural. And we see that later in Genesis chapter 1 when Scripture says, let, says, let us make man in our image. Let us make man in our image. In the image of God, he created male and female. And so, so in, in that statement, Genesis, it tells us very clearly about the Trinity, that Jesus, um, pre-incarnate, right? It, he, Jesus has always existed. He is eternal. He was not created, but God literally came in the person of Jesus. I mean, in, in ways how you could just, it should blow your mind, is God, he, he literally allowed himself to be in the womb of Mary and born as the person of Jesus Christ. Now, the other thing I would say in this is that this was an immaculate conception. In other words, Jesus was not born of the seed of man. If Jesus had been born of the seed of man, Jesus would have been born a sinner because we know that sin, we're all born into sin because of the seed of man. Adam sinned is what Scripture says. Paul refers to this in Romans, that it was through one man that sin entered into the world, right? And he's speaking about Adam. And so from the seed of man, we are born into sin. And so this immaculate conception is is that the Holy Spirit came upon Mary and and she and 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 Christ um, th- this conception happened as a result of the Holy Spirit not by Joseph or any other man so that's what makes the birth of Christ an immaculate conception and so I, I want to just kind of clarify that a little bit so Mary was the mother of Jesus who Jesus was and is God in the flesh. And so in that sense, yes, Mary was the mother of God in that regard. However, over the years, what's happened is that term, mother of God, has become more misconstrued. Um, So again, Theotokos, it implies that Mary carried God in her womb and gave birth to Jesus, God in the flesh, but it does not mean she was the originator or the source of being the mother of God. She was just a vessel. She was one whom God had chosen, through whom Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God, would take on a human body and a human nature and enter into the world. So so it's speaking about the incarnation, that is, God taking on flesh. Um, and that's how the Council of Ephesus used that word. So Mary's the God-bearer in that context, in that sense. Um, but throughout the years, this term, again, began to become distorted, and Mary became an object of worship. So about 350 years after the Council of Ephesus, after they used this term, Theotokos, in reference to Mary, there was a council at Nicaea. This was the second council of Nicaea, and here's what they declared. And I'm going to quote this um, from what was said at the Council of Nicaea. They, they wrote this, We honor and salute and reverently venerate, and again, the word venerate means to worship, adore. We reverently venerate the image of our spotless lady, the all-holy mother of God. Now, what this does is it shows the shift in the Roman church, the, the Roman Catholic church specifically, from a focus on the incarnation of God, of God coming to us in the person of Jesus, God taking on flesh, to, to a worship of the mother of God 
uh, and, and to pointing to her, even a phrase that Roman Catholics would use, the queen of heaven, or benefactress, or or even the co-redemptrix, which means that she was a, she was, um, a co-redeemer in redeeming us. But that is, that's just simply not true in Scripture. Scripture does not, does not teach that. Also in the Roman Catholic tradition, um, Roman Catholic leaders would teach their, their, their congregants, their followers, to, to go to Mary and, and, and to find help in their time of need. Obviously, as followers of Jesus, Scripture tells us that, that the one whom we go to in our time of need is Jesus. We go to Him. He is the one who intercedes on our behalf, is what Scripture tells us. But in the Catechism of the Catholic Church, this is on uh, in Part 1, Section 2, Chapter 3, Article 9, Paragraph 6, on page 971. just want to make sure you know I'm not making this up. The Catechism of the Catholic Church says this, and this is a quote, "...from the most ancient times the Blessed Virgin has been honored with the title of Mother of God, to whose protection the faithful fly in all their dangers and needs." And that's the end of the quote. In other words, all of us would would run to Mary for our help, but that is not what Scripture teaches. And so what we can conclude is, is that, that when Mary is referred to as the mother of God, in the truest sense, um, she gave birth to Jesus, who is God in the flesh, but she is not the originator or the source of God. So I just want to make that really clear. So in, in worshiping and adoring Mary um, in that way, or as our co-redemptrix, the one who is who assisted in redeeming us, is just not it's just not biblically true. And 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 so I, I want to be very clear in saying that. And I want to say it with gentleness, but but that's but that is the truth of what scripture teaches. It also teaches that that Mary is is a sinner just like just like you and I. She was a sinner just like you and I are. And and the reason why I think it's important is because Pope Pius, back in 1854, Pope Pius IX, he had had written um, regarding this Immaculate Conception and regarding Mary, um, in essence saying that she was free from original sin. As a matter of fact, in his Apostolic Constitution regarding the Immaculate Conception, listen to what Pope Pius IX said. He wrote this, quote, We declare pronounce and define that the doctrine which holds that the most blessed virgin mary in the first instance of her conception by a singular grace and privilege granted by almighty god in view of the merits of jesus christ the savior of the human race was preserved free from all stain of original sin it is a doctrine revealed by god and therefore to be believed firmly and constantly by all the faithful so this was the dogma of the catholic church specifically stated by Pope Pius IX, and he wrote this in 1854. So what he's saying is that Mary was born without sin. He goes on to say, let all the children of the Catholic Church, and again, I'm I'm quoting Pope Pius here, who are very dear to us, hear these words of ours with a still more ardent zeal for piety, religion, and love. Let them continue to venerate. And again, that word venerate means to adore or worship. Let them venerate, let them invoke and pray to the most blessed Virgin Mary, Mother of God, conceived without original sin. Let them fly with utter confidence to this most sweet mother of mercy and grace in all dangers, difficulties, needs, doubts, and fears. And so what Pope Pius is saying is that that Mary was born into this world without, without sin. 
Well, we know that that's not true because she was born of the seed of man. We see this in the lineage of Christ that Scripture teaches us. And because she was born of the seed of man, we know that she was born into sin. Without a doubt, God used her greatly. I mean, I can't imagine um, when she was told um, by Gabriel that she was going to be buried, she would bear the Christ child. Um, even in what's known as the Magnificat in Scripture, Mary, you can see this humility with which she receives this news, and she I'm sure she's shocked at this and wondering how someone like her would be the one chosen to bear the Christ child, probably because she knew that, that she was like of, of no sense of nobility, but also that she was a sinner. And so, so her being born of the seed of man means that she was born into this world, just like you and I are, we're born into this world sinners. And so what Pope Pius said was just simply was simply not true. So she she's not the mother of God in the sense that she's the originator or the source of God. She was not born into this world without sin. She was born into this world a sinner. But there's also another tradition that's taught, and that elevates Mary to being the one who who assists in the work of our salvation. Pope Pius IX wrote this as well. He said, quote, under her guidance, under her patronage, under her kindness and protection, nothing is to be feared. Nothing is hopeless, because while bearing toward us a truly motherly affection and having in her care the work of our salvation, and did you catch that? Or the work of our salvation. So she's not a co-redeemer, but Pope Pius is referring to her as that. Let me continue what he says. And having in her care the work of our salvation, she is, she is solicitous about the whole human race. And since she has been appointed by God to be the Queen of Heaven— and earth, and is exalted above all choirs of angels and saints, and even stands at the right hand of her only begotten Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, she presents our petitions petitions in a most efficacious manner. What she asks, she obtains. Her pleas can never be unheard. Now, that was the end of what Pope Pius had said. So he's saying that she is the one who is a co-redeemer with us, and the truth of the matter is, Scripture says that only Jesus Christ is the one who has redeemed us. He is the one who paid the price on the cross for our sin. And there is no one else, there is no one under heaven whereby we are to be, where we are saved, is what Scripture says in the book of Acts. And so, so in those things, as we are looking at this statement that Jesus makes from the cross— when he sees his mother there, when he sees Mary there, and he says, woman, behold your son, there's something that he's saying there that's significant. And then he says to John, behold your mother. Um, and so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tie all this together um, as to what we, can, as what we can glean from this. So, so here's what's going on. At, at, the, most, at the moment of, of, of Jesus's greatest agony, Jesus met the needs of his mother. That's what's going on here. So he's dying on the cross. His mother is there. She is, I'm, I'm sure, weeping and wailing and in some sense of disbelief. It's probably a surreal moment. I can't, I can't, even, I can't even imagine. But at his moment in, uh, of greatest agony, Jesus met the needs of his, of his mother. Now, there, there are two needs I think we see here. First of all, I think, is her spiritual need, and that is the need for her to be reconciled to God through his sacrifice. I mean, Jesus is dying on the cross for the sins of the world and for the sins of his mom. So, so when we look at this, that's why I gave a little bit of the history and the context of 
Mary not being one that we worship and adore um, because she was not one who was without sin. She was a sinner just like you and I are sinners. She was born into this world a sinner, and she was in need of Jesus' salvation just as much as you and I are in need of his salvation. And so at, 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 his, at his moment of greatest agony, Jesus is saying to his mom, behold your son, not just the one that you gave birth to, but the fact that he is laying down his life and he is making all things new for the whole world, including his mom. So he's meeting the spiritual need of his mother as he's dying on the cross, just like he's meeting the spiritual need of every person who has ever lived, uh, who is living and who will live, that he has laid down his life to reconcile us. That word just means to bring back what has been broken, what has been shattered, separated. So he is reconciling us to God through his sacrifice. Jesus has made a way for us. He made a way for Mary, he made a way for John, his disciples, for everybody. He's made a way for us by way of his death on the cross so that we can have a relationship with God. And so he was meeting the spiritual need of his mother. But he was also meeting her physical and emotional needs as well, that that he was wanting to make sure that that she was going to be cared for and taken care of. It was a responsibility of the oldest son to make sure that the parents were taken care of. And so here's Jesus dying on the cross, and don't know where his where his other siblings were. We know that he did have other siblings, is what Scripture tells us. And it also says that that they didn't believe who he was. I mean, can you imagine this? That they that they didn't believe at the time when he was walking and teaching and doing his ministry on earth that they didn't that they didn't believe who he was. And here's Jesus on the cross, and he's caring for his mother even in his most um, in his most difficult, darkest moment of his earthly life. And he's caring for the spiritual need. Obviously, he's dying on the cross for her sins and for the sins of the world, but he's also caring about her physical and emotional needs. And, and, and we, we see this. We, we see this when, when he says to John, behold your mother. He was saying to John, I want you to take care of my mother. Now, I want to I I talk a little bit more about this because some would say that the statement that Jesus made to John, saying, behold your mother, would would give Mary uh, this place, so to speak, where she would be the mother, not only the mother of God, but the mother of the church. Um, and she would be seen as the spiritual mother or the mother of the church, specifically, again, in, in, in Roman Catholicism. And I'm going to talk about that in just a second. But 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 I want to go back to this physical and emotional needs that that Jesus was meeting for, for his mom. You know, he... It, scripture tells us um, that we are to, to care for our parents. As a matter of fact, family is hugely important. And I believe what he was saying to, to John when he said, Behold your mother, I want you to take care of my mom. I'm not going to be able to. In 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 8, Paul kind of reiterates this. He says this. Uh, he says, But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Scripture also tells us to honor our father and our mother. And so, so when, you, when you think about this, Jesus is giving an example here of caring for those whom he loves, specifically his mom. Joseph is not in the picture. We're, we assume the fact that he's, that he's died um, and he's not there. And so now Jesus is giving this responsibility to John to care for his mom. So even in his most painful moments, he's, he is making sure his mom is going to be taken care of physically, emotionally, 
um, to be ministered to. But also, I believe, as we see in the picture of this, is, is, is the body of Christ coming together and ministering to one another also. Now, I mentioned just a moment ago about how in, in Roman Catholicism, the teaching is that Mary is the spiritual mother or the mother of the church. Um, this also comes from um, Catholic um, tradition, um, and it says this. Let me quote this to you. Now, if we say that Mary gave birth to Jesus, the head of the body, then it must be that she gave birth to the entire body, since a true body cannot be separated. Thus, it would mean that she gave birth to the members as well. In giving physical birth to Jesus, we can say that Mary made it possible for us to receive spiritual life through him. We were dead, and through him we have come back to life, and it was Mary's yes at the Annunciation that made our rebirth possible. To question this is to question the plan of God, for it was he who decided from all eternity that it would be so. And the list of those who have believed, it is almost endless. Now, this statement, when Jesus made this to John, Behold your mother, was not saying that Mary was going to be uh, the mother of the church, that we would, as the church, um, venerate or worship her as such. If if this was the if this were to be the case, then I think we would have seen this in the book of Acts when uh, the New Testament church launched, when when it began, when the New Testament church was birthed, that there would have been some sense, I believe, because John was one of the leaders in the early church, that this would have been made clear to the believers that it wasn't just about Jesus, but it would have been also about Mary or Mother Mary who is the one who helps and assists in our work of redemption and salvation. Yet what you hear being preached by Peter and 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 John and and uh, later Paul and, and others, the apostles, the disciples, was that salvation was only found in Jesus Christ. It wasn't found in Jesus and in Mary. And then also, too, when you see in Acts, in Acts the church devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to prayer, nowhere in there does it say that they were praying to Mary. And I think if it was if it was what the intent was and what God was saying, that it certainly would be in Scripture and be very clear that it was to Mary um, to whom we would be praying. And so the, the, the books of Scripture that we have, the canonical books, the ones that were canonized, the ones that we believe are the, the inspired um, um, words of God in Scripture that we have, again, speaks to the fact that Jesus is the only one through whom we have salvation, and the one to whom we pray. He is He is the one who intercedes on our behalf, and so it is not through Mary. So I, I think that that when you look at this, there's Mary was born in sin, and she needed a Savior, which is Jesus died on the cross, not only for her, but for all the world, because all of us have sinned and fall short of God's glory. Um, that she was not the originator or the source of God uh, as the mother of God in that in that sense. Um, and and also she's not the mother of the church. she is she is um, one who was greatly used by God, obviously. and she is to be honored in that sense. So so a couple things again, at the moment of of Jesus' greatest agony, he met the needs of his mother, both her spiritual need, dying on the cross for her sins, and her physical and emotional needs, as he said to John, behold your mother, uh, and please you know, take care of her, care for her, right? So here's the last thing I kind of want to draw from this, um, and that is that in our weakest moments, he meets our greatest need by the riches of his glory. 
So, so here's Christ in the dark moments of the cross, and he is he is reaching out and he's he's meeting the need of his mother for his mom and for John and all the believers. And this these were our weak moments. I mean, that, that, those were their weak moments. They, I mean, Jesus, whom they had followed, whom they believed to be the Messiah was being crucified. I mean, think about the days of when he was laid in the tomb and the days following that. I mean, there was this sense of, in some ways, despair. What do we do at this point? And everything changed at the resurrection when Jesus was resurrected and he appeared to them. It changed everything. But in this moment, these weak moments, Jesus was about meeting our greatest need. And he still does. In our weakest moments, he meets our greatest need by the riches of his glory. You see, my greatest need and your greatest need is met only in Christ. That's what Paul says when he wrote to the Christians in Ephesus. He writes this in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 18 through 20. Paul says that you may know what is the hope to which he's called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. And then Paul writes to the church at Philippi, he writes in Philippians chapter 4, verse 19, And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. So when, regardless of the dark moments you go through in life, maybe you're going through difficult times and dark moments right now, we can find hope in life's darkest moments because of what Christ has done for us on the cross. Even in our weakest moments, he meets our greatest need by the, by the riches of his glory. So I don't, I don't know what your circumstances are right now. I don't know what dark moments that you're going through, but I do know this, that God meets us in those darkest moments of our life. And so I, I, I hope, and my, my hope and prayer is that you would realize that even from the cross, and uh, Jesus was caring for others. He was caring for his mom. He was taking care of her. He cared more about her spiritual need than anything else, and then her physical needs. Um, and he was asking John to care for his mother. The sense of, of the body of Christ coming around one another and caring for one another, that really the church is to be um, the visible manifestation of, of of the essence of Christ. And, and what I mean by that is, is that that Jesus uses the church, his body, it's what was referred to, the body of Christ, to be a visible representation um, of who he is and what he has done for us in his redemptive work, and that we are to exhibit the very character of Christ as we care for one another. We see that, in, again, in, in the book of Acts and how they came around uh, together. They were together is what Scripture says. They, they believed. They had all things in common. They were together. They were generous with one another. They prayed with one another. They, they, they went to temple together. Uh, they, went, they sat around the table together. They worshiped together. And there was a sense of care and, and community. And, and, and you get that from what Jesus is saying to John, care for my mother. But it's also, I believe, an example of how we're to care for one another also. And when we go through dark moments, we need to have other believers, people like that, that we can that we can turn to. Not that we find in them everything we need, because we can only find that in Christ, because all that we need is found in all Christ is. But Christ uses his church, other believers, 
um, to help meet needs. And so I, I hope that as, as we've talked about the statement that Jesus made from the cross, that as he was speaking to his mother, that he was saying, I am laying down my life that you might have life. He's saying that to Mary. He was saying that to all of us. But he was also compassionate and caring for his mom and concerned for her, even at his death, that she would be cared for. And giving John the responsibility, and it says that John took her to his home uh, from that hour, and he began to care for her, minister to her. And what a great picture uh, of the body of Christ, how we're to care for one another and be the hands and feet of Jesus to one another. And I would say, if, you've, if you're not part of a, a local body, if you're not part of a church that preaches the truth of Scripture, that, that, that really does see Jesus for who He is, that He is God the Son, that He is God in the flesh, and that He is the Savior of the world, and it's only through Christ that we can have salvation— if you're, if you're not in a church right now and you think that you can just listen online, which I, I get in COVID that that was a great option for us, but please know that the online option should never be primary. It, 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 is, it is something that can be a tool that can be used in addition to, but there's something about the people of God gathering together and being around one another. Scripture teaches that, that we, that we have been created to relate to one another and not just through a screen. But we have, to, we have to relate to one another to be able to see each other, to encourage one another, to hug one another, to, to pray with one another. I mean, to be with one another is what Scripture says. And so that's part of the mission. I heard one very well-known pastor who said he was embarrassed at how churches were um, getting in a spitting contest with the government over COVID regulations and meeting and things of that nature and how... Too many churches um, are more about the model than they are the mission. And I, I would respectfully say that according to Acts, gathering together is part of the mission. It's not just the model. It's, it is part of the mission. It was important, and it still is important. And so I would say if you're not part of the body of Christ, this Sunday, Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday, is a great day for you to, to go to a church. Maybe a friend of yours or a family member has invited you. I want to encourage you to go. I want, I want to encourage you to go and, and just listen to what God's Spirit is wanting to say to you. And for those of you who perhaps you've never placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sin, maybe, maybe you have been looking to someone else to intercede on your behalf, or maybe you've been trying to work your way to salvation or, or to be good enough, as I mentioned in the two podcasts uh, a few days ago. None of us are good enough. We can't work our way to salvation. It's only through Jesus Christ. That's why he came. That's why we remember Good Friday, that he came to die on the cross. He took the wrath of the Father um, that was due us. Jesus took our sin and the wrath that was due um, for our sin, and he took that in our place so that we don't have to receive the wrath of God, but we can experience the forgiveness of God and the righteousness that comes in Christ by putting our faith in Jesus. And so I hope that as you've been listening to this, that you have been encouraged. I hope that you have uh, been challenged. I hope that you will share this with other people as well in your social media platforms. And also too, I really do hope and pray that if you're not part of a body of Christ or you've been out of church for a while, maybe it's because of fear or whatever, if you feel like you have to wear a mask to go to church, then absolutely do that. 
But I would encourage you, do not let fear paralyze you. But let your desire to want to be around believers who can encourage you, um, let that be um, um, something that, that compels you to want to be back with the body of Christ. So I hope that you will worship this Sunday the risen Savior because Jesus is alive and he is worthy of our worship and our praise. He and he alone, no one else is deserving of the worship that he is due. Only Jesus is. So thank you again for uh, listening to this episode on Crossroads and Culture. And we will look at statement number four tomorrow. And I hope you will join me then on Crossroads and Culture. Have a great day.